This recording begins with a reading of the Gospel of the Day. That will be followed by the homily from Father Paul O'Brien. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Since the Passover of the Jews was near, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple area those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves, as well as the money changers seated there. He made a whip out of cords and drove them all out of the temple area with the sheep and oxen and spilled the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, take these out of here and stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples recalled the words of scripture, zeal for your house will consume me. At this, the Jews answered and said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Therefore, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this and they came to believe the scripture and the words Jesus had spoken. While he was in Jerusalem for the feast of Passover, many began to believe in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus would not trust himself to them because he knew them all and did not need anyone to testify about human nature. He himself understood it well. The Gospel of the Lord. This is the third Sunday of Lent, beginning the third week of Lent. Thank you to many of you whom I know are really actively living Lent. We began this season on Ash Wednesday. If you live the entirety at six plus weeks, one day at a time to prepare for the grace of the holiest days of the year, the Easter Triduum, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter, and the grace of the Easter season. Many people in this community, at the culmination of those holy days, are going to receive the fullness of Jesus in the depths of their souls and the fullness of the salvation he brings by being baptized and receiving the sacraments of initiation, the single most important moment of their lives. For the rest of us who have already been baptized, the grace of the Easter season is somehow really the renewal of that grace of salvation. So I've been trying to live Lent, and I know many people in this community have, simply to prepare for those graces, the holiest days and the grace of that season, by accepting the agenda we heard on Ash Wednesday, repent and believe in the gospel. Many of us are trying to be much more intense, much more intent, uh, attentive every day to the reality of our sin and turning away from that sin. And if you're eligible, receiving the fullness of God's forgiveness through the sacrament of confession, I am trying to be much more attentive every day to the gospel of Jesus, to listen to it and to put it into practice. So thank you to all of you who are living Lent. To repeat what I think I say every Sunday, the readings and the prayers of the Sundays of Lent seem to me particularly encouraging to people who have been living this season. They're for everybody. And also they're challenging, and I would suggest today is a very good challenge in these readings for all of us. So the first reading, once again, same pattern as the last two Sundays, 
we hear about one of the great covenants that God offers our Jewish ancestors in the Old Testament. These covenants are privileged moments when God enters into the real lived history of his chosen people and offers them more of himself. The covenants are agreements that God establishes. And God guarantees if people choose to live these agreements, even if they're challenging, they are challenging, they are possible to live. So God gives more of God's self and promises, particular promises, and God says, if you want to enter into this, you're free to do whatever you want with your life. These are your end of the covenant. So the covenant we heard about today is set about 1,250 years before Jesus. It's the great covenant, much more detailed than the ones we've heard about recently, that God gives to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai. We've heard part of it, very important part of it, in the passage this morning. And then there are other commandments that God gives. All of these commandments are obligations for our ancestors. Christians believe they're perpetual obligations. They started 13 centuries before Christ, but they continue till the end of time, and Jesus blows them open ultimately for us to understand them. So people, to repeat, can do whatever they want, but if they choose to enter into this covenant, they are obligated to live these commandments. I hope you listen to them. I hope you review them when you go home, because yikesy, 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 when I listen to those commandments, and I think about all of us who say that we're Christian or Jewish, yikesy, yikesy, yikesy. They're obligations, not suggestions, not points of reference. So if you take that seriously, and if you take seriously your own limitations and your sin, there is an automatic question. How does God respond if people enter into that covenant, but they violate it? I don't just mean making mistakes or violating this or that small thing. What about when someone says, yes, God, I want this? Because God's end is, if you live this covenant, I will give you more of myself, God. I'll give you more life. I will give you more love. I will give you justice. I will give you integrity. I will give you fulfillment, ultimately. God makes all these promises and follows through on them. So if I enter into this covenant, and then I really seriously, significantly violate it, particularly if I violate it continually, how does God respond? Even if you don't believe any of this, anyone with a brain, I think, would automatically ask that question. So if you read this part of the Old Testament, there's a lot revealed about how God responds. First and foremost to me, in this time in the Jewish people's history, God reveals clearly that God is passionate about every single one of his children on this planet. Passionate. God isn't just off somewhere in the heavens and distant and, you know, occasionally takes a peek at the world. God is totally present for every moment of people's lives. God passionately cares about every choice that his people make. The section of this, this section of our, of our salvation history, it repeats, God is just. God absolutely holds us accountable for the ways that we behave. And it certainly repeats over and over, God is merciful. God's love 
extends beyond just pure justice. It reveals in this part of our salvation history, God rewards people's good and true choices. It makes very clear God punishes people's bad and wrong choices. So there's a lot there, but it's still a very early revelation about God, because you come away with a lot more questions, I think. I want to know more about God, and I also want to know more about how does God respond to my significant sin and our significant sin. The ultimate revelation of everything about God is Jesus. Jesus is God who about 2,000 years ago, for real, becomes a human being, the eternal Son of God who becomes fully, really a human being. Everything Jesus says and does reveals first how human beings are meant to live and how we can live if we follow him. And number two, everything Jesus says and does reveals the fullness of who God is, of how God responds to everything good, everything bad, how God loves us. The passage we just heard from John 2 is one very important revelation through Jesus of how God responds to our significant sin. Be sure you get this. It is by no means the only passage. There are many more about how Jesus responds to significant sin. This is just one, and I'll come back on purpose to that point. But clearly it's an important one. It's one we're meant to hear this point during Lent, and clearly it's one we're meant to honor. So I invite you, because a lot of us, particularly adults, mostly not kids, are afraid of this. Jesus in John 2, this is probably two plus years before he goes to Jerusalem for his passion, death, and resurrection. So a couple years before, Jesus enters Jerusalem, God's holiest city. I think you all know this. In Jerusalem at that time, there is the temple. The temple has been built on God's instructions. The temple at this point in human history, 2,000 years ago, is the holiest place on this planet. Somehow God's spirit is present uniquely, powerfully in the temple. That's why it's commonly called the house of God, God's house. It really is. So for a faithful Jewish person, this is the holiest place on the planet. In the temple in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, there is a system of sacrifice of animals as part of Jewish worship of God. So people come from what's currently the Holy Land and around the Mediterranean world. Faithful Jewish people go, and they're part of the sacrificial cult in the temple, good cult not bad cult. There are animals that are sacrificed, so when people go to the temple, they purchase the animals. They don't come carrying ox with them. That's very good. The people who sell the animals for the sacrifices make a fair profit. Totally good. It's helping with the worship of God. People also come with currencies, coinage, from all around the Mediterranean world. Some of those coins have on them the image of pagan realities or pagan fakes or imperial realities. They can't be used in the temple, God's house. So the foreign currency is exchanged for the local currency that can be used in the temple. People also go to pay the temple tax 
to support the maintenance of the temple. You with me? You with me? You with me? So if it's done correctly, the sale of these animals and the fair profit that comes and the exchange of the money and the fair profit that comes with that, if it's done right, all good. It's in the service of the worship of the one true God. Things have gone amok at the time of Jesus. When Jesus, the Son of God, enters the temple, we can only guess, but they're easy guesses. Maybe these sellers of animals and the money changers are charging exorbitant prices. Very tempting in any time and place. Welcome to America. They are charging more than is fair. That could be it. Or maybe the whole system has gone bad. And instead of being focused on the fair profit to do God's work, to foster God's work, maybe it's just become a moneymaker. Jesus, the Son of God, enters the temple, and he knows fully well. So pay attention to these details, because this is about you and me. He knows exactly what's going on. He says, you have turned, in Greek there's a play on words, you have turned the house of my father into the house of market. You have taken what should belong to my father, and you have substituted money. Sound familiar? You have made this, instead of the house of God, the house of profit. How does Jesus respond? So that's a very significant sin. Be sure you get this. It's not neither here nor there. These people know full well they're supposed to be working for God, which means they treat other people fairly. They are messing with other people. They are messing with God. It's not some small thing. It would be the same thing if you found out there was financial scandal in our parish, which there's not, thank God. You would be outraged, and you should be, because it's the most disgusting misuse of money on the planet to take what's meant to be used for God and take it for yourself. It's disgusting. It is significant sin. How does Jesus respond? Does he say, oh, it's okay? No. Does he say, you're basically decent people, don't worry about it? No. Does he say, well, you haven't killed anyone, so it's all right? No. I'm saying this for a reason. These are the things we say to ourselves with our serious sin. Does he say, let's form a committee and we'll have a lot of different people, and we'll come together and we'll discuss how did that original teaching of God apply to our time and place? Because, you know, the Kardashians have redimensioned things. No. He identifies what the sin is, and he responds with anger. Controlled, powerful anger. How does God respond to our significant sin? This is part of it, anger. He takes forceful action to address the evil. He makes a cord, a whip, out of cords. Doesn't do damage to anyone. He does nothing violent. He drives the sellers of the animals out of the temple with their oxen and their sheep. He tells the people who are selling doves to get out. He overturns the tables of the money changers. He spills their coins on the ground. He is angry, 
and he takes forceful action to get at this. Why? Because he loves these people, because this is evil, because these people are turning away from God. It's about their souls, because he wants the evil involved in this to be gone, because he wants these people to turn back to God. If he didn't love them, he would say, eh, and walk out. He does this. He cleanses the temple because he loves the sinners. He, so I'm going to repeat on purpose. That is not the sum total of how Jesus responds to significant sin, obviously. There's a lot more to come, including this season, and that's how he ultimately responds. Jesus has not saved the world with a whip. He saves the world by sacrificing his entire life. But that passage is important, and it's real. So here are some takeaways, and this is particularly for adults or for teenagers, but also maybe people younger. Takeaways this week. Do you recognize significant sin in your life? So take that home. If your answer is no, you either have recently had that sin totally forgiven in the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, which some of you have, or you're living a very holy life, which I witness some people in this community truly are, or you're deceiving yourself and being dishonest, or you just don't get this yet. If you're being dishonest, or if you don't get this yet, I just push this on you. Number two, do you recognize from the Old Testament that God is passionate about you and your holiness and your sin? Do you just accept the truth, no matter how you feel about it at this moment, that God is completely passionate about you and your significant sin? It's been revealed to the world for more than 3,000 years. Time to catch up. God is completely passionate about your significant sin and mine. Do you simply accept that what we witness in that passage, how Jesus responds to significant sin in that passage with anger and with controlled, forceful action is part of who he is? Can you accept that? If that's the case, I invite you to consider this week, many of us have significant sin who are sitting here today. Thank God we're here today. Most of us, not all of us yet, most of us are eligible for the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. That is the single gift that Jesus gives us so that we can absolutely know he forgives our significant sin and we're free. It is greater than every other way that we seek his forgiveness. Most of us are eligible for that sacrament. If you are eligible for that sacrament, is it available to you 100%? There are people on this planet who do not have that sacrament anywhere near immediately available to you. You and I do every single day of our lives because of where we happen to live. If you are aware of significant sin in your life, if you're honest about that, 
if you recognize this is part of how Jesus responds, he wants to cleanse the temple that is you, not with a whip, with love. That sacrament is purely about love. He wants, when you and I were baptized, we were made temples of the Holy Spirit. If you and I have significant sin within us, he wants to cleanse the temple with love. If you, at the beginning of Lent, if your agenda was, I want to repent and believe in the gospel, if you've been praying for the grace for that to become real, if you feel challenged by this, I think your prayers are being answered. You have been listening to Father Paul O'Brien, pastor of St. Patrick Parish in Lawrence, Massachusetts. For more information about the parish and to get involved, please go to stpatrickparish.com or follow us on social media. Thank you for listening.